Well, tomorrow's Labor Day. It's known for many things. An excuse to grill out, yay, right? The unofficial end of summer, boo. Good sales at the stores, for me, meh. Probably your, yeah, got a thumbs up in the front row. Day off work, can I get an amen, church? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how much thought you give the purpose of Labor Day, but I want to take a moment this morning to share with you a little about it. And we're going to take this morning's message and time to consider our labor efforts in light of Scripture. So it's observed the first Monday of September. It's an annual celebration of the social and economic achievements of American workers. And it was established to honor and recognize the American labor movement and, and the works and contributions of laborers to the development and achievements of the United States. So all that stuff that, that the people who work and, and do stuff have it contributed, whether it was the industrialization or, or advancements and all that stuff. And, and this holiday is rooted in the 19th century. So it's, it's been around a long time when, when labor activists pushed for a federal, federal holiday to recognize the contributions of, of the workers and that America's strength and prosperity and well-being, especially at that time, was a direct result of all the efforts of all the people working hard. Now, this isn't just an American holiday. Canada, they have Labor Day. They spell it wrong, L-A-B-O-U-R. I can say that because my mom's Canadian, so I feel like I'm not hurting anybody's feelings. But they have Labor Day, and it's also celebrated the first Monday in September. But more than 80 countries celebrate International Workers' Day, and they celebrate that on May 1st. Because everybody recognizes the amount of work it takes to accomplish things. And then holiday may provide rest for us all. But its purpose was to give pause and to honor the efforts which helped bring about many advancements and achievements from which all of us have benefited. The reality is that very few things happen without some work being done. Now, it's true God does provide for us in miraculous ways and sometimes without us doing much more than simply trusting in him to take care of us. He's fantastic at that. But there are also countless times in scripture and still today where he requires us to do some amount of work. Fortunately, we don't have to guess about these things, what we should work at or what we should work for. He's, he'll guide our lives when we're in tune, when we, like I said, when we seek him, his purpose. We don't have to worry that our efforts will go without results or go unrecognized because our motive is to do the work that he's called us to do and equipped us to do. And when we do that, we will get the results because God will get his way and we will be recognized by him if by no one else. And we also don't have to wonder if we have to work incessantly, right? With, if there's a moving target, if, if, if there's no hope of any breaks or rest or times to restore our strength. You see, God has a perfect plan um, for you and your labor. So I've titled this this morning's message, Six Days You Shall Labor. And it's in reference to the fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath. I love that picture. I was trying to find some tools and I, I came across that and that just captured fun, right? No one seems like labor when you got those kind of tools. Um, three weeks ago, we talked about the Sabbath during a message I titled, Keeping It Holy. And we understood the biblical definition, directions, commandment is ceasing work. God claimed the seventh day as the Sabbath, not because he was tired or weary, but because the work that he needed to accomplish in creation was done. He could cease. He could rest from that work. God built rest and revitalization into his plan for our lives and also instructs us to honor the day of rest and ceasing, to, to keep it holy, to set it apart from the other days. This week, we're going to look at the other side of this equation and see that what the Bible says about our labor efforts. Throughout Scripture, labor and work is used in a way that is contrary to how we might think of it. Right? We consider work this 
obligatory drudgery that is necessary to provoke or to provide for the financial needs for our family. And I often make this joke. I, I don't need to work because I don't need the money. But the people I owe, they need it bad because they send me letters and call me all the time asking for it. So I work for them. Um, <laughs> but listen to how the author of the First Testament book of Ecclesiastes views works. Ecclesiastes 2.24. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures, including satisfaction in work, are from the hand of God. He continues in 3, 12 through 13. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. And then each of them may eat and drink inside and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Now there's some, some metaphorical representatives in eat, drink, and, and, and to do good, right? So, and to work. So it's, it's not just literally eating and drinking makes you happy. It makes me happy, but... But that's not the, the message here in this. But he writes further, Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 19 says, This is what I have observed to be good. That it is appropriate for a person to eat and drink and satis- find satisfaction in their toilsome labor. So, right, there's, this, there's this thing. He's putting work, the joy of work, the enjoyment of work, and the necessity of work right up there with the other needs to eat and drink. And it says, To find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot, right? This is, our, this is what we're doing. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot, right, and be happy in the toil, this is a gift from God, to find peace and comfort and satisfaction in your work. Psalm 90, 17 says, May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And there's good news in that statement. Did you hear it? Anything you set forth to do without God's blessing is meaningless. But the good news is anything you put forth that God has established for you to do, he, is, he will make happen. It we will be a success. Ask for discernment and don't hesitate to ask for his blessing over your work. Any kind of work. It doesn't have to be missionary work, right? Certainly we think, oh, Lord, bless me as I go out and, and try to, to save people's souls. But, you know, any work, hey, I'm going to work today and I'm going to be working on this process or this job or this whatever it is or, or it's a hobby. That's work. Lord, would you bless me in this? Would you make it valuable and, and, and productive and, and, you know, um, something good come of it? And, and let me enjoy it because that's how you design it to be. So ask God to guide your efforts, invite him to use them for his good purposes. When you do this, Proverbs 16.3 tells us that his commit, when we commit our work to the Lord, you will be met with his promise that your plans will be established. Some translations of this passage say that your plans will succeed. Now, that, that's good, right? But the best way to guarantee that your plans will succeed doesn't end with asking God, hey, Lord, can you work this out so it works? But to make sure your plans are in alignment with his. That's signing up to being on the winning team, Right? If you're struggling in a situation or don't know how you will ever find your way through a difficult place, just surrender. And I don't mean give up. I mean give it over. All of it. Give it to God. Make a promise to him that you'll work to see it through to the end. I will make that commitment to work, God. And make a promise to him that you will work to see it through to the end. And he will lay a path down for you through it. Do you want to know? Um, 
to know what's really cool about that. This is what excites me. He'll be right there the entire time. And those aren't my words. God spoke those words himself repeatedly throughout scripture. He says, look, you, you pursue it. You, you push through it. You get through it. I'm going to be there right there with you. I'm going to make sure you have a path. I'm going to get you through it. And I shared Psalm 90, 90, 17 a second ago. You know, may the favor of the Lord, God rest on us, establish the work of our hands. You know, perhaps this is a reference to the very first job given to us. We know that God created the earth and made a beautiful place upon it. A place where he walked in person, interact with man and woman that he created. So listen to this from Genesis 2.15. It says, the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Right, this most beautiful created place. It says he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and care for it, to take care of it. By God's design, work is to bring pleasure and fulfillment. We still have within us this innate need to be productive. Unfortunately, we have to battle the worldly view of work as a necessary evil or something that that we will commit to just enough to get by or to stay out of trouble. But that is not the way that God wired us to live. He designs us to find joy and satisfaction in the work we perform, whatever that work may be. 2 Timothy 2.6 states that it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Now that, that makes sense, right? It does. Those who work hard and put in the effort deserve to be rewarded. They have earned it. From a kingdom perspective, that's true. But, but is that the way the world works? No, not necessarily. So how do you feel when there's unfairness and other discouragements? With a kingdom perspective, that is only obtained through knowing the Lord of the kingdom himself. Right? The people that seem to get ahead despite not doing things right or following the, the rules or all this stuff. Yet they, they, they find worldly success. See how you battle that. Well, like I said, you have this perspective that is greater than the world. And that perspective comes from knowing God. See, God provides both wisdom and instruction to help us live that he calls an abundant life. And to stave off discouragement and deceit. Listen to the guidance of Colossians 2. 23 through 22. It says, um, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Now that's a kingdom perspective put in practice. Don't view it as working for so-and-so, my boss, but, but for working for the Lord. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Notice it says, knowing that you will receive. It does not say, so that you will receive. We work diligently and faithfully because it is the right thing to do. The blessing is the bonus. It's not the motivation for the Christian. You see, no matter what you do, you're using the gifts that God gave you. If you've got air in your lungs, strength in your muscles, and you're out there doing something, whatever it is, you're being a good steward of that gift. So whatever the job, the task, the project, the hobby, you can do it because God enabled you to do so. You have the health, the strength, the intelligence, and the talent. It's the development of the attitude that we're responsible for, and that's not necessarily a good thing. But when you put your talents to good use, you are showing God that you love him, you worship, you trust him. God, I love your design for my life. I'm going to put these things to good use in the world. And you may be proving to God himself that you love and worship him, but you're also demonstrating to those around you those same things. It's not about showing off, like, look what I can do, and look what a good, you know, noble employee I am. It's... It's about being a good steward. That's the example you're setting. 
In the Apostle Paul's letter, the early church in Ephesus speaks to this. This is from Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I'm going to step back a step and, and start with verse 8. So I've already read that, and I'm going to go back two sentences. It says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. We so often get that out of order and want to work harder to earn what is already freely given. We want to earn what we could never possibly achieve. We can't wrap our human minds around the possibility that something so great is simply already done for us, given as a free gift. We want to be the master of our destiny and achieve all the greatness and accolades we can and be known for what we've accomplished. But that's not the way this works. And thank God, literally, thank God that that's the way it really is. Then the most simple terms, it's gift, not gain, that we're after. It's gift that we get. It's not the gain we're seeking. So we have a calling to work diligently and dare I say cheerfully. This too is working with a kingdom perspective. Paul reminds us, he says, do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We just concluded a two-part series about making sense of the character of God. Last week, we specifically talked about our testimonies, um, how the stories of our personal experience and encounters with God, how these help others understand who God is. Because the, the God who loves beyond limit and, and forgives beyond measure and all this stuff. How do you quantify that in our human minds? Well, you read the metaphors and the parables in the Bible, but you also see it in experience in life. And you tell your story. People say, oh, I get it. He must really care about us if he would take care of that or, or get you through that or provide for you in that way. And when we work with honesty, integrity, while the rest of the world seems to be focused on less noble things, we shine as a light, an example, a reason for others to have hope that there are good people out there and a good God over them. Therefore, you can't give up, not even when you're tired, not when it doesn't seem fair, and certainly not when you don't like the people around you, and that's, that's sometimes the biggest challenge, isn't it, right? <laughs> Scripture promises that you will realize the value of your labor if you do not give up or grow weary of doing what is right what is good, and what you have committed to do. Now, Scripture and all of its wisdom, of course, comes with some warnings. Proverbs 21 to 25 says, Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin, for their hands refuse to work. And again, it was Paul who had to remind people of God's protective instruction to be diligent, honest workers. In his second letter to the Thessalonians, he writes, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. So they, they've been warned about this. So this is the second letter, and he's reminding them of that. And he says, we hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we have command and urge to Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And here's a warning that may hit a close to home, no pun intended. 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Those are harsh words. But you have been given so many gifts and been perfectly equipped to support your loved ones and, and all of God's people, really, in some specific capacity that you are fully equipped for. 
So follow God and his son Jesus' lead, their example, and provide for the needs of others. There will be times it will seem difficult, if not impossible, to do. You may be unappreciated. The task may be outright undesirable. But you will bring joy and blessing to others, and you will please your Heavenly Father for your obedience. As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, we're looking at the instruction to labor for six days and rest on the Sabbath from the work side of the equation. So I'm going to take the remainder of this time to unpack just a few passages. One is Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. It's from the New International Version. And if you want to uh, read along on the slide or, or open your Bible, we can begin here. I'm going to start with this 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the great news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who believe enter that rest, Jesus, just as God had said. So he declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all of his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. So I'm going to pause there for a moment. In Hebrews 4, 1, the beginning there, we're reminded there is a rest that we can obtain. The word rest means to cease. And we, we talked about this when we studied the Sabbath. It also says we have to work and not to fall short of entering in this rest. We have to work to, in order to have something to take a break from. And in verse 3, we're reminded that the children of Israel did not get this rest because God and his wrath was upset with them because of their unbelief and their disobedience. And this is the cycle of uh, the Deuteronomical cycle that the Israelites seem to go through where they were in a, in a bad way and then they, they called out to the Lord and he lifted up a, a rescuer, a savior, and, and they were delivered. And then they started breaking the covenants again and God was never unfaithful to them. He kept giving them chance after chance after chance and, and I'm saying, in, in one of these periods, he was angry, and he said, you're not going to get rest because you're not doing the work I told you to do. They grumbled and complained after God gave them miracle after miracle. And in verse 4, there at the bottom of the screen, the rest is referred to as the seventh day. The seventh day is the Sabbath, which means rest. We come to church on the seventh day or the Sabbath day to cease and rest from the labor and worship God for all he has done. God has built rest and restoration into his plan for your life. But you do work, but did you work hard with integrity? Are you falling short of the rest that you're claiming deserve? Did you put in what's required in order for you to truly claim this rest that he has designed for your life? Hebrews 4, continuing one verse, sorry, Hebrews 4, continuing at verse 6, says, Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke to David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear this his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. And this is where it gets good. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. 
We see that Paul tells us their provision remains for rest. The, the rest or ceasing from work is there for us, but we must labor to enter into it. Think of this, of this way. How can you stop doing something that you weren't doing in the first place? Verse 10, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. God did this in the book of Genesis. After creating the world in six days, to get his rest, we must cease from our works. And finally, in verse 11, Paul tells us to labor to enter into the rest. It is important for God's purpose and the mission of the church that we all work accordingly to the ministry of Jesus. The second passage is much shorter. One more. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. The subtitle is Laboring in God's Work. Now, we, when we think about work, we think about our jobs. And yes, God tells us to be faithful employees and hard workers, whatever that job may be. But sometimes we have to labor to do God's work in the world. And that might call us to do something that's hard or uncomfortable or undesirable or might put us in a position. Certainly the, the days of the, the disciples and apostles that would they be persecuted for, for the work they were doing for the Lord. But look at this first, and I'm going to read it from two versions. First, the NIV, and then the New Living Translation. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor of the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. The New Living Translation. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. So, similar language. Always work enthusiastically the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Always firmly believe that living a Christian life will result in a current life that delights God and an eternal life in heaven with Jesus. That's our goal. And the second part of that goal is to take as many people as we can with us when we get there. But in the meantime, or should I say meanwhile here on earth, we have one lifetime to show that we love God that we can keep his commandments and be good stewards of all the time, talents, and treasures that he has entrusted us with. Scripture is very clear that it is this period in our efforts during which we will be judged. So just unpack this just a, a moment more. Let nothing move you, be immovable. Maintain your expectations of God coming promises, right? It's not, in Scripture, there were people that reminded God, hey, you promised, you promised my ancestors, you said you'd do us. Maintain your expectations of God's covenant promises, including the return of Jesus Christ. Always give yourself fully to the work and work enthusiastically. You know, this is similar to the instruction we get about giving our tithes and offerings. This should be done without compulsion, obligation, and boasting, and it should be done with passion and excitement and a joy for the joy that it brings, right? I love working for the Lord. Not because you may be, not because it's what I'm supposed to do. I want to go out there and make a difference in the world for the Lord's sake. It says, because you know is used in that scripture. We've read it. We've heard it. God has imprinted his truths in our heart. There is no claiming ignorance, my friends. We know the truth, that there is work to be done. And last, it says that your labor in the Lord is not in vain or nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless. The promise is simple. You will be rewarded with the gift of eternal life with Jesus in heaven for living a Christ life like here and now. All the effort, perseverance, and suffering will, will not be for nothing because there is no greater mission and no greater prize than what you've been charged with accomplishing through your work and what you've been promised at the end of it. So as I conclude, friends, the 
the Lord has entrusted with all that he's created. From the very beginning, he created the beautiful world and, and the garden, and he put us in there to work it and take care of it. From being caretakers of the earth to helping his children who are in need today to managing the resources he's given us, right? Our time, our talents, and treasures. So when we arrive in heaven, the Lord will ask each one of us and we've done what we've done with what he's given us. So how will you answer the question? I love the sentiment of the Apostle Paul as he writes his final letter to young Timothy. Remember, he sent Timothy on ahead to, to share the good news of the gospel and continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. And Paul sent him on ahead and he sent him a couple letters. And this he writes, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I love that. Isn't that how you want to be known? Not just in the world, but by God. To be known as a person who worked hard and didn't waver once in your convictions, no matter how hard it got. You finished the race. You you kept the faith and you've earned your rest from the days you have labored to accomplish so much for the good of the kingdom. Let's make that our prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, here on earth, we celebrate Labor Day. We spend time with family and friends. We enjoy the time off work. We do things we enjoy. But we look back at its original meaning and purpose and it's to acknowledge the efforts of all those who labor. Lord, we're still called to labor. From the very beginning of time when you put us on this earth, you gave us jobs to do. From caring for your creation, which we still are called to do today, we're still entrusted with with the environment around us, to protect it, to care for it, to love it, to appreciate it, to our Monday through Friday jobs, to our hobbies and passions, to our volunteer work, and including certainly the work we do for you. And Lord, when sometimes we're so lucky that all that's the same thing, to have a job we love and are passionate about and serves you, Lord, that's that's awesome. It's awesome. So Lord, Challenge us this week to take a new perspective on our view of work, that it's something we should find joy and delight in, that it should be productive, and that's where we get our satisfaction. Not at, look at me and what I accomplished, but look at me and, and what I have been a good steward of, meaning what I have faithfully applied the talents and gifts that you've given me to making this world a better place for someone around me. Lord, and let us also take comfort in knowing that you built in rest, relaxation, and restoration for us as well. We call it the Sabbath, but we also know that when we work a a long life here on earth, making a difference in this world, even though we may just be but a, a mist in the timeline of history, that it will make a difference. We will leave a legacy with our family and those who know us, and we will enter in that ultimate rest. But we cease from this work but we get new work and new challenges in your presence. Lord, that is going to be awesome. And although we mourn those who've gone out ahead of us, we celebrate that they get to claim that promise, that they've ceased their work here on earth. Lord, would you again challenge us this week to take a kingdom perspective on work, on rest, on our commitments to do both. Lord, may you do so so that our days here on earth are many and abundant and filled with joy. And may it delight you. In your son's name we pray.